I want to say this, actually, is because I was reading some little scuttlebutt, the old Truant on Street Urchins were scuttling around about. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of people really want the adult... What is it, adult diaper baby lover? Is that right? Well, I, no, okay, wait, adult Liz, baby wow, diaper lover? That's illegal. I, I adult can, baby diaper lover. Well, I don't know what they're into. Well, they're into a couple different things. But this is what I want to say. Yeah. You people are fucking sick. Not the A A B D L A D B L. It sounds yeah. like it's, it's you know, the anti defamation league. But um, actually piss their pants considerably no, less than they why do. Why do so many of our listeners want this episode? Because it's lurid, Liz. And it's it's gross. And it's weird, and it's strange, and people want that. Imagine if you could, knowing about, having firsthand, well, secondhand knowledge about the kind of person who is an adult, but who pretends to be a baby, but who also wears a diaper, without actually having to be in the room with them. That's the power of podcasts, as we can bring that to people. But I have to be in the room with you every time we you do this. D- I am- <laughs> <laughs> There's no adult baby diaper lover, diaper baby adult lover episode coming. I am an adult. <laughs> wait, I'm a. I'm, a, I'm an adult lover. Adult wait, baby, a a. DL. I'm gonna. I'm gonna adult. Wait. Wait. I'm gonna adult brace. A diaper list. No wait. <laughs> ad, adult. I'm gonna ALDL. I'm an adult lover on the download. No, oh, sure, I'm an no. adult lover diaper lover. I don't want adult wear a, lover diaper lover doesn't adult really. Adult lover go. diaper lover. <laughs> Dude, I, honestly, I got this just like. I mean, maybe it's the time. Uh, it's 300th episode. I should admit this, but like, low key, like. Some adults be looking pretty good. <laughs> like, I'm just like, sometimes I'm just like at, like I'm hanging out at the park and I see like next to the playground, like the people who have kids and I'm just like, oh, look at that dude. Because that's right, man. ladies and gentlemen, I'm bisexual. <laughs> I'm bisexual. You know, I will say, this is a little reveal, is that I actually do have an idea for the adult baby diaper... Did I get it right? Yeah. Adult Baby, Adult Baby Diaper, Diaper Lover, Lover episode? Yeah, yeah. What is it? Well, I'm not going to say it right now because oh, I don't want to spoil the fun. But I actually do have an ep- an idea for that episode that I've been kind of cooking in the old Liz brain solo. You've thought about this without me? Yeah. I think about a lot of things without you. That's the nature. <laughs> of what? Of, of, of being oh, okay. human. Yeah, well. Um, I, first of all, I'm not bisexual. I'm pansexual, and I'm Brace Belden. Hello, Brace. I'm Liz. We are, of course— Joined by our producer, Young Chomsky. And this is the 300th episode of Trudon. Yes! Gong it, Wait, baby! where's the gong? Where's the, no, hold on. Don't edit this out. I think you hit him right on the nose there. Right, well, he doesn't have a nose. His nose is kind of the center of the gong. Did we ever name the gong? Well, so you weren't here for this, but Young Chomsky and I sometimes kind of come here and do like this Ritual thing. It kind of looks oh, like yeah. videos you'd see of the Azov Battalion in like 2017. Like yeah, there's kind of like sweat lodge vibe in here. Very much a sweat, just like a bunch of guys. I did that like once. The Northman, sweat lodge. or whatever. You know, the, the Northman. Thought I was gonna die. And we hit the gong, right? Sort of behind each other. Hit the gong, hmm. and 
it's called Liz. I like. I don't want to figure out that the gong is called Liz, but it's in like a That's nice. That's not the name. It's in a I think nice we should name way. it Gong Gong Marcos. Gong Gong Marcos. Okay, Gong Gong Marcos. It is. Yeah, Gong Gong Marcos. You know, I'll take that because we love him. It's a Gong Gong. And then you get to hit him every time. Gundam, Gundam Marcos. Um, <laughs> it is our 300th episode, Liz. We're just going to keep saying Chomsky. that. Uh, that is, I, I want to, so, actually, let's clear up some true and on lore here. Ooh. First of all, you guys have to be nice to us today because it's our 300th episode. And They're so you can't nice get mad us. at us for, uh, for these extraneous details that we're adding in. But... People, the numbering of the True and On episodes has long been a point of contention for some of our more um, attentive listeners. Attentive, <laughs> definitely a word for sure. Attentive <laughs> listeners, right? For some of our listeners Let's who either nice. did really good or really bad in school, mm. uh, have been like, "Where's episode? What's Young Chomsky? I'm I'm flipping the mic around. Where? What episodes do people think that there are and there aren't? So I think there were we we went from like 46 or 47 to 50 to uh, correct the fact that there were some bonus episodes early on that were not accounted for. Wait, we did that on purpose? Yes. Well. And I made a note of it at the time. I do think I remember this conversation. I do remember the conversation that we had because I will just, again, let the listeners in on a little... Laura here. Young Chomsky is a very attentive producer. Definitely. Which he, we, he seems like he did either really well or really bad in school. <laughs> which we love here at Trunon, obviously. But I remember a very early on conversation when, I believe it was the episode where Jeffrey, spoiler alert, killed himself. He passed. And, um, or did he? And it was like, wait, does this live within the canon of the episodes or does this not live within the canon? Do we, like, how do we designate that this is separate? And there was a conversation and it was like, okay, also the art is black because this is different. And then we kind of kept kept that up for like, we did a couple like rando episodes that were... We've had a lot of unnumbered episodes. No, but I meant early on. I'm talking about early on. I'm going to estimate this is actually like our 350th episode. But it doesn't count because it's our 300th episode. It's our 300th episode. You know why it's our 300th episode? Why? Because it is called episode 300. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying in terms of total episodes we've done... I don't even know. I'm. It's something probably in the realm of three fifty. And then there's those like fucking like forty or whatever that we didn't even release. They, so yeah, all right, definitely before like especially some of the twenty twenty stuff got settled. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of unreleased stuff out there. We'll put the Dominion uh, episodes out. Yeah, you know, I mean, just like once the litigation's <laughs> over, Discovery and all that. You know, it's just like things will change. But for now, those are those are staying locked in the vault. It is funny though because when people notice that we have episodes missing, they're like. What are they covering up? Yeah. It's like we put it on the internet. You fucking, can't. You know what we're covering up? Hillary's emails. Hillary's fucking email. I've seen Frazzle Drip. Did I tell you that my neighbor, my neighbor's friend, was asking me about the podcast, and then he was like, "Oh, have you looked into Hillary's emails?" Interesting. And I have was like, "Because the I would if I could get them." Yeah, and also if you do have. We'll make some requests to the audience today. If you have Hunter's entire email thing, I know I could get it. Eventually. Look, we know who has the laptop. I, yes, we do. And I don't think he listens to this show. Mm-hmm. But if he does, I think he should send us a copy of it. Listen, I'm I'm a small C, small government conservative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think the government should be so we small. We are reasonable people. I'm a reasonable person. I'm interested in the truth. Yes. Right? 
And frankly, like, I like looking at dicks. Well, like, I'm not, just like as an aesthetic thing, you know? Like, I want to see what she's rocking with. Like, you don't walk, I mean, you're a woman, so you don't do this, but like, Young Chomsky, you walk down the street and you see a guy, every guy you see, you're like, what are you rocking with, right? Yeah. Like, what do you, what, what's, you know? You how spent many, a how crazy many amount of time looking at Hunter's leaked <laughs> photos. I and see. Videos. I, did, it's, I mean, <laughs> the thing with that is, it's crazy that you can see the president's son getting a uh, foot job while he smokes crack. Yeah, That's just, crazy that yeah. you can do that. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. Okay. People say he's a private citizen. I'm sorry. If I found a picture, a video of a private citizen getting a foot job while smoking crack, I'd be like, that's fucking insane. Also, it's like, this isn't like Chelsea Clinton when she was 12 and re- and reporters calling her ugly or whatever. Yeah, this yeah. adult Hunter Biden. Have you seen the pictures of him at that parade in Ireland? He's 75 years old. <laughs> He's so old looking. It's crazy. And I, I mean, listen, I've been, I've been in, uh, I've been not smoking crack for a long time, right? But I've been in a lot of places where people who used to smoke crack will talk about their experience with that stuff. I've talked to a lot of sober people who used to have bad drug problems. And I got to be honest with you, in almost nine years, I have never met anybody who's as much of a fuck up as Hunter Biden is. Like just in from that perspective, like he is extraordinarily high. And so I think that in itself is a story, but these, you know, these liberals want to cover it up. Yeah. But we've done a, we've done a lot of episodes. We here did on a whole episode on Hunter Biden. We've done episodes. Sometimes There's people make comments in the Patreon, and they're like, "Wow, you don't. You know, why don't we hear about that?" Bitch, we did that. We've done it. We've done it. We've done it. We've done two episodes a week for four years. <laughs> we've done it. Oh, that's crazy. I know. I don't even like to think about that. <laughs> but yeah, we we've we've covered so many. And listen, I, people always talk about the podcast. It's just the podcast. Our podcast never made any sense. What do you mean? It's just about. Us. It's about us. It's about our journey. I mean, for me, the podcast is about us trying to understand what's going on in the most broad sense. Yeah. And so that's what every episode's about in a sense. And it's true crime. (laughs) (laughs) To me. Well, I think that this episode is about that. Mm -hmm. Us trying to understand what's going on. Is that a little sweet little segue I hear coming from you? No, but I was just thinking. Yeah. It could be a segue or not. We can say other stuff about ourselves if you want. I don't want to get too navel-gazy here. No? Well, I mean, I got like a – it's kind of – Yeah, it's kind of weird there. You know the thing that Boba Fett falls into, the worm? Mm. He's a Sarlacc? I got kind of like a Sarlacc thing going (laughs) on with the old belly button. The great pit of Yeah, the pit of Carcoon. And it's just – it's like it's got – Dun-da-da. Um – but yeah, we can transition. <laughs> um, but I do no, Liz. Actually, we're not transitioning now. Okay. Isn't there somebody we forgot to mention? The dear sweet old listeners. Oh, did we? Well, we've complained about them briefly, <laughs> but <laughs> we also should thank them. Okay. Thank uh-huh. you, guys. <laughs> okay, that was waiting for that. Thank you. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> Say like no, but really, I mean, we. I can't believe that we're still doing this. Sometimes, I mean, when you just said two episodes, I mean, it hasn't really been two episodes a week, but let's just say. For I would say, say average out. It's definitely yeah, been at least I'd two say episodes a week. Out. No, sometimes we've over. done. We're doing. We've done three episodes a week. That's before. true. We've done five episodes a week before. No, we haven't. Yeah, during the trial, we for an oh, entire right. month we did. That was so fun. I want to do that again. I, I would love well, to. Well, we might. We, we might. might. We'll yeah. talk about that. Um, but it's like crazy to think that we've been doing this for four years. 
And it's all because of people just listening to you and me fucking talk and Young Chomsky making it sound way better by taking out all the dumb shit that we say, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we say so much dumb shit. So much dumb shit. And here we are, Brace. Yeah. It's 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 funny. I you know, I, I don't want to no one wants to hear this, but it's been it's been nice doing this with you guys. Yeah. And I am I am always a asta- every single time anyone's ever come up to me like randomly and been like I like the podcast, I am floored, like shocked that that's happening. Not in a bad, not like the podcast sucks or whatever, but I'm just like, wow, that's crazy people listen to this. Yeah. So, thank you for listening to this. It really has been uh it's been a wild ride, and uh, frankly, like that's what makes this so hard. Stop it! <laughs> nice try. That's what makes this so hard because <laughs> I'm me tooing you. Oh yeah. man, the show's over. Why I didn't, didn't I see that coming? I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm me tooing you. What did I do? You said that. Um, you said that. Uh, you said looks like you've been working out a lot lately, and then you punched me in the ass cheek closed fist really hard and made the boxing noise when you did it. Liz. <laughs> I don't know if you don't remember that. And then you sort of then you sort of used you used my protruding frankly, yes. My ample bosom. You used my ample bosom as as a speed bag. <laughs> and to me, it just that I know that like you kind of like you're from like a locker room culture. Like you love uh, oh actually there is something I want to mention about that. Uh you love sports and stuff, but mm. that is um that's difficult for me. I do want to say, I looked at a Wikipedia today, which I don't know which, if I really— By the way, Young Chomsky, I just want to point out, you say Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Which just, like, got stuck—which is what it is. But I say Wikipedia. Wikipedia. It's a Wikipedia. I'm a Wikipedia. I'm a Wikipedia. I'm a Wikipedia guy. Uh, <laughs> I looked at a Wikipedia today. You're a sports writer. What? That's what it says. I have a Wikipedia? No, but oh, that's what it says. Well, God. maybe you do, but it's what it says so. on the Truant on Wikipedia. It says I'm a sports writer? It says you're a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> it says, uh, let me see. What? Uh, uh, l- let's see. Oh, no, it says you're a writer. No, well, I'm not. Yeah, but I didn't know you I wrote a sports article. For all the- you didn't? No. Oh, I read a thing about um, James Harden for Dead Spring I know, I read it earlier ago. today. Oh. Yeah, it's good. Oh, thanks. Really? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm just saying, if this... Podcasting thing doesn't work out. No, you should get into watching basketball. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, yeah. If for some reason it's, it's it also, I got to be honest with you. It says we're dirtbag left here. It does. It does. It says you know, I have pushed back on that since the inception of our podcast. I've always said I'm not a dirtbag. I'm not a dirtbag. I'm just racist. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a very clean person. You are Liz. You anybody? I challenge. Any human being to look at Liz at any point since I've known you, and I've known you for a very long time, mm. and been like, that's a dirt bag. Thank you. That's a dirt bag. Thank you. Me, I get I don't want to call me dirt bag left. Mm. I'm not a dirt bag. I don't wear a trucker hat. You know? I, you're looked at my hat right now. It's not a trucker hat. It's a regular hat. Okay. Uh I you know, I'm I'm like, you know You sometimes I'm, wear a trucker hat though. I I wear that's not true. I have one trucker hat. It's yeah, a, it says French wear. Revolution on it. <laughs> Uh, but the, it broke, so I don't wear it no more. Um, we are a normal person, true crime podcast. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. And again, episode 300, I'm being indulgent. Nobody wants to hear this stuff, but I'm complaining. And another thing. <laughs> and another thing. I'm telling you this. There has been not an article on this podcast in four years. 
And my goal is— No, there was one, and it called us anti-Semitic. That is true. The only <laughs> press we've gotten, besides, I think, an interview with the uh, L.A. Review of Books online-only blog, blog, blog like post. a month after we started, yeah. uh, outside of that, the only article about us literally is in the Daily Beast and is like, are these dirtbag left stars flirting with the far right? Yeah. And Spoiler alert? No. Yes. Flirting's— Okay, Just pause kidding. on that. It's unbecoming for men to flirt. But it is I, I, anti-Semitic yeah. in it. And that is the press that we've gotten. And you know what? I wouldn't be called anti-Semitic with any other people in the world but you oh, guys. Oh, thanks. No, Grace. I really wouldn't because oh. you're Polish. Notably, you know, your history of your people is very anti-Semitic. No. And so if I was with other people, that literally wouldn't happen to me. Um, but I'm just saying, like, it's crazy because, like, we have all these talents. Like, you know, Liz is, you know, she makes leather pants. Like, Young Chomsky, of course, long-distance swimmer. I myself can dunk. And it's like none of these things are in our Wikipedia because no one's written about them. Mm. And it's like, cool. So, like, if I die tomorrow, where will people learn that I can dunk? You know what, though? But I like that because um, we have been doing this for four years, 300 episodes and some change, whatever. And it's all been from people just listening to it. That's true, yeah. It's none of the fucking bullshit in the magazines or in the society pages or in the whatever, whatever. None of the trend pieces. None of the clout fucking fashion magazines. There's, none of the, there's not even a promo photo of the three of us together. Yeah, none of the hungry. Which all that stuff's fine. It's fine. But we are super powered from listeners who are listening to this right now. Mm-hmm. Well, not right now, but in the future after we've already recorded this. But... And I just think that's really that's cool. cool. And we've never done an ad. And we've never, well. And that. That people know about. That people know about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do, you know, we put it in there occasionally. No. Actually, you know what? So as some of our live show attendees might have been made aware of, we've actually had ads on the show, but we've done sort of like Che Guevara style guerrilla advertising mm. for a long time. We learned this, of course, from the greats, Che, Mao, et cetera. Um, and, well, I mean, here's one that I know we got a lot of good feedback about from the company, but uh, from our 9-11 series. Yeah, ever since those towers fell, I feel like there's just been a square space in downtown Manhattan. And so many people reached out. They were so touched and invested in, I mean, all of the kind of emotional work that you put into telling your the story of your time at in the troubled teen industry mm-hmm. in our series The Game, but I'm not sure if they caught this. I went in as a frightened 14-year-old boy, but as I went through the program, with all its inanities and half-assed techniques, I hardened into something else. And I spent every single second thinking only of escape and revenge and stamps.com. And so you know what? With our 300th episode, yeah, we're DraftKings now. Fuck you. Gamble. It's cool. So, all right, we're actually going to talk about today something that has a connection to the beginning of our podcast. Uh, We started in, when did we start? July or June 2019? 
July 23rd, 2019. Look at this guy. July 23rd. My God, look at this guy. Wow, actually, we're it's almost... It's on our calendar. On, you don't even well, see it. It's, it's the June right now. I'm not like, looking at the July calendar. It's, I'm always looking ahead. June. You always got to keep your eyes on the prize. I, 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 the prize is today. It's not in July. No, you can't be, you know... Well, anyway. Resist presentism. Shouldn't we just be doing a four-year anniversary? We're doing a 300? Well, okay. Anyway, milestones are milestones. So when we first started, I was working at a brewery. Yeah, a little company called Anchor Steam. Uh-huh. Well, Anchor, it's it's funny because everyone actually calls it Anchor Steam, which I still do myself, mm. uh, but it's technically Anchor Brewing Company. All right, whatever. Uh, we, we, I think I quit in, uh, let's say, now that I'm a small business owner, uh, <laughs> Q1 2020, so a little bit before the pandemic. Q1 FY 2020. Q1 FY 2020 is when go. I deceased my exit from the... <laughs> Corporation's accounts, it's and of that nature. When did you start working there? I started working there in I think late 2017 or 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018, I was gonna say maybe tw- early 2018. Yeah, Q1, no, late 27, around that time. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so I worked there for like two, a little maybe I think a little over two years. Uh, and in that time, we unionized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, just to give a little background on Anchor, I mean, I've been drinking that shit since I was like 13 years old. <laughs> Probably not the best advertisement for that. It's not like they sold me the beer. But like, you know, Anchor Anchor Steam is like the San Francisco beer. I think it's pretty safe to say, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's the like, mascot for the city in a it, weird way. It is. Like, they sold it at the Giant Stadium. Like, yeah. it's like— You're wearing the hat right now. I'm wearing a— Well, I, t- I made this hat, but— You did? Well, yeah, I made it for— It's Anchor, it's the union hat. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, they, I have it tattooed on me. But it's just like, it's it, it that that bright yellow yeah. and the blue and the— You know, it's a very recognizable— yeah, yeah, and like you know, we, it, it's it's got the it's San got Francisco. the anchor, you know. Yeah. That's like it's like a you know it's the famous anchor. Uh, and recently, it was broken. The news was broken by Dave Infante, friend of the show, uh, about uh, the from fact, an unnamed source from an unnamed and news broken to him in an unnamed from an unnamed source uh, <laughs> that uh, that they were discontinuing their Christmas ale. Mm-hmm. And that they were no longer shipping Anchor to any distributors outside of California. Now, many listeners are wondering, why should I care right now? And we will tell you exactly that. But I think it is, I mean, to give you a little bit about, like, the background of that. So the Christmas ale is, listen, to get us out of the way, I'm not a beer guy. Me neither. Not a beer nerd. Not a beer girl. Not a beer nerd. Are you a beer drinker, Young Chomsky? You he, were he a brewer. A, what? You were? Did you know this? It was like a hobby that I thought women would be into but i just blew up a, a bunch of vats of it's like not that easy to screw up but i screwed it up a bunch of times and i stopped doing it you got to be more attentive the fact that you thought women would be into micro brewing <laughs> as a hobby <laughs> has led me to just completely change all of my thoughts about like you 10 15 years ago that is I, i'm that and i lived in philly did it work did, were they were they impre- were women impressed by this like one was <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty good. You know, there's That's women that are sexually return, attracted to the Columbine shooters oh, as well. You know, as the microbrewing was a big thing. Microbrewing was a very big thing. Craft beer, especially like ten yes. years ago, craft beer was fucking huge. Um, I, just to give a little history of Anchor, because this is kind of you know what this is. Frankly, this is a little San Francisco episode we got going on here. 
So Anchor started in 1896, uh, and as a lot of people know, who loves beer? The motherfucking Germans, right? And who was coming over here like fleeing like rats from Germany all throughout the 1800s was Germans. <laughs> if I guess who else would be? Well, Jews. But those are often German Jews as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. That was the wave of that came maybe 30 years after this. But, you know, San Francisco, Liz, what's the town known for? Our love of motherfucking gold, right? Oh, I was going to say and immigrants. And immigrants. Well, yes. Yeah. You know, diversity makes us stronger. But you know what makes us even stronger than diversity? Motherfucking gold in them our hills. We love gold. Yeah, we love gold. We're crazy it's, for gold. It's a town built on guys that are crazy for gold. But not a lot finding gold. Not a lot finding gold. How do you actually get rich during the gold rush, Liz? Cottage industry for selling shit for people to go find gold. Exactly. Yeah. And what do those people do when they can't find gold? Drink themselves to death. Yes. So a lot of breweries were started in the 1800s by German immigrants, including one that made a beer called Anchor Steam. So, great name. It's a fantastic name. Yeah, Very evocative. It's, it's great. And, 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 you know, a little thing about steam beer, too, because Anchor Steam is a, quote, steam beer. In fact, what does that even mean? So that's the thing is – when I got a job at Anchor Steam, listen, full disclosure here, I haven't drank a beer. I haven't gotten fucked up in like almost nine years. I haven't drank a beer probably in like 12 years, right? Yeah. You can't shoot beer. Uh, well, you can, but that's like some Motley. It's like you would shoot vodka or whatever. But uh, what? I, yeah, you can shoot vodka. Motley Crew. I know most people have shot vodka, tequila, and shit. It's not good for you, but you still get That's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, you get fucked up. Anyways, people uh, are too creative. Steam beer. I was just like, oh, I don't know what steam beer is because I was never like my. I quit drinking at the point where like you would learn what those words meant, mm. and so like I was still just drinking. I mostly drank liquor. My yeah. drink of choice. I don't know if I've said this on the show. A uh, whiskey water, double whiskey and water to fill the rest of the glass, okay. or a triple whiskey and water to fill the rest of a pint Oof. glass. Yeah. Uh, not big into beer. And I was like, oh, steam beer is probably like a kind of beer. Like, I didn't know what an IPA was. I still don't really know what an IPA I know what the words mean. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It attracts a lot of annoying people. I don't, yeah, and here's the thing. I don't want to know. Yeah. Don't tell me don't tell what me. it is, right? But a steam beer is its name. <laughs> nobody knows. That's the thing about steam beer <laughs> is nobody actually, including like historian, literally nobody knows. There's th rumors that like it was it's called that because of the way that they cooled down stuff. They left it on the roofs of buildings in San Francisco and the Pacific breeze cooled the whatever they were I love fucking that. up there. That's the one I choose to believe. That should be true. There's another one that it was like it's related to the brewing process in some way. That's an, probably that's true. That's probably true. Yeah. There's another one that it comes from the German word for dampf. Damp dampf, dampf. Comes to, dampf. I don't know. It means steam or no. Dampf means steam, I guess, but that seems a little too clever. Um, My dampf. And then there's like a kind of beer. It's like a dampf beer. Uh, and then there's another one that it comes from like the kegs. You'd have to like let off a little steam sure. first. Uh, but regardless, nobody knows. It is now called – this style of beer is now called the California Common Beer. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a very simple beer. I don't know how to describe beer, right? Yeah. And so for those of you listening, I'm going to read – actually, Liz, you know what? I think you're going to do me the honors of reading from Randy Scorby, a beer judge from Beer Connoisseur, his review of mm. the beer. And this, do this in your most beer guy voice, please. No, I'll do it in my voice. 
This beer starts with a lightly rich, bready malt character that gives way to light toast and caramel as it warms and opens up. As the malt settles down, a woody, earthy hop aroma and a light, fresh apple ester offer a complementary balance. The flavor also does not disappoint. The bready, toasty, and caramel malt sweetness is balanced by woody hops and a prominent hop bitterness that lingers into a crisp and dry finish. The breadiness from the malt lingers gently into the aftertaste. This beer pours an inviting copper color with an orange hue that pulls you into the glass. You know, I think that's actually very nice. Yeah, I think that—I don't know what really that means, but it sounds like it's good to drink, right? I saw a very funny meme today—well, funny to me meme—that wa- that shows like, oh, you know, this is—when you don't know what to say about a wine, just mm-hmm. say this. And it was like a guy leaning over and being like, this one shows a lot of tension. Oh, I would I say character is a good word to describe mm-hmm. something that you don't know how to say about it. But I would say I think this guy, Mr. Randy Scorby, mm-hmm. that's a name for the Truanon books, uh, does a great job describing uh, Anchor Steam. I actually can taste Anchor Steam when I'm reading this. Yeah. I mean, and that there is a really like an orange hue that does pull you in. Yeah, it is. It's a good fucking beer. You know, what's funny is I actually remember. Be- was it before we started the podcast, or maybe it was right when we started the podcast? I met you and down at the knockout uh-huh. because they were filming something about. Oh yeah, something that was going on with Anchor. Maybe they were filming the Huffington Post thing they filmed on me. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think we had an anchor, st- an anchor steam. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we did. They sold I mean, you it didn't, there, but yeah, I, I did. Didn't. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. our friend did. I forgot you're in that video. Well, don't tell people because then they'll oh, go look it up. In that, I mean, what are they, you know, they going to do? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it is. I mean, I drank a lot of that shit growing up, right? It's because mm-hmm. it was like it's not a like to me. A craft beer is like something that tastes gross and is ten dollars. And Anchor Steam was like cheap, you know, but like good. You could, it was cheap but good. Yeah, it was, it's not a Bud Light. It's not a Coors. Yeah, exactly. And that was like when I realized like a that natty ice the only freaks. the only beer it was like some Belgian beer that people drank. I can't remember what it's called. Blue Moon. No, which that's, is fake. I'd it's not, fake Belgian. They're all every beer is fake, which we'll get into in a little bit. Actually, I don't but, even know if that's a Belgian. Beer. I don't think that is Belgian. I think Blue Moon comes from California, maybe, or that, that comes from America. But it's not a. It's it's. I've never had it. Um, I but mean, in style, anchor yeah. anchor. Was, oh, I don't even know what that means. But anchor anchor was like a beer that I was like an approachable beer to drink because it looked like a beer you would drink, right? All the other ones had crazy like oranges with a mohawk and shit like that, yeah. or like a crazy devil, a skeleton with like pilot goggles. That's on. shock top you're talking. I'm about. not drinking that crap. That's a fake. That's another one of those fake beers. Yes, yeah, or like the zombie sucker or whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah, that's too crazy. They all look like little Halloween things, and anchor looked normal, right? Like it looked normal. It was an old school label with a fucking but not like Sari Jailer Jerry Sailor Sarah Sailor Jerry like style you know oh, what wow, I mean that's a throwback it, exactly it wasn't like that kind of stuff it just looked old and normal yeah. okay and I liked it it looked like something a human being would drink and it connected to San Francisco history. I mean, San Francisco is, is, and I learned this actually when we were doing the Union campaign, San Francisco had a lot of German breweries back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a lot of Germans working at those breweries. Back in those days, they lived at the brewery. Mm. I think it was, I got to be honest, a lot of the kind of shitty jobs you had back in the olden days, you also had to live there. Yeah. And these guys had to live at the fucking brewery, work 18-hour fucking days, mm. and they actually formed a brewer's union in San Francisco. 
and were really, really, really militant. I mean, the Found SF has all this great website, but it has all this, you know, all these pictures of like, you know, breweries back in the day in San Francisco and the workers there. Uh, they describe uh, the demands of these workers, and this is from the 1800s, as being for free beer, closed shop, which means that like it's a union shop, uh, freedom to live anywhere for brewery workers, <laughs> a 10-hour day, a six-hour week, a six-day week, and a board of arbitration. This eventually led to a nine-month strike of brewery workers in San Francisco, which they were actually able to – they won the strike, which is, which is pretty extraordinary. Uh, after like all the, like the Brewers Association, basically of America came after them, they, they actually beat – they won, um, which is – this was a little few years before ILWU started, which is its own crazy strike that led to a, kind of a gun battle. That's a different story. Um, Anchor, so Anchor was a San Francisco beer that like of all those kind of like early breweries that started in San Francisco, you know, post Gold Rush, Gold Rush breweries, Anchor was really the one that actually for some reason made it, even though the product that they were making wasn't exactly refined, right? Yeah. It was kind of like a sour beer at points. Sometimes it was a good beer. Then the person who owned the brewery would die and they'd be replaced by somebody else and then it would be kind of a bad beer. (laughs) Uh, you know, it was, but it was a San Francisco staple. They sold it at all. They had contracts with all the different, like the spaghetti, old spaghetti factory and like all these kind of like old San Francisco institutions. Haunts. What's that? Oh, the haunts. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Like when we were, when we were talking about this episode and like, you know, looking, looking into some of this stuff, it really, it made me nostalgic for like a San Francisco that was done before I was born, but mm. which the, the memory of still really lingered throughout, I think, both of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I feel like, yeah, there's a kind of, um, like, bohemian weirdness to San Francisco that's, it's not, it's not even weirdness or quirkiness, but the kind of, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it it, it was, like, something that was always kind of haunting the city and, like, wanting to come back. And I think as a kid growing up there was something I I don't know for you, but I was always kind of like chasing after. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And trying to find whether that meant like trying to go find it in North Beach and exploring yeah. or the Castro or all these kind of like weird little enclaves and kind of seeing where you could find it pop up again. Yeah, Specs. Yeah. Like going to Specs kind of gave you that. That's this bar uh, actually across from City Lights, which mm-hmm. I did not get that feeling from, but uh, across from City Lights in this kind of like weird little alley that like it felt like, I mean, even though it's, you know, obviously far removed from a lot of this stuff, had, like, a lingering kind of ghost of that memory of, yeah, like, totally. old San Francisco. Um, yeah, I know. I think definitely it did. And it's funny because, like, people kind of think of San Francisco as this weird town, but what they think of is, like, Burning Man, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, that kind of, like, hedonistic. It's weird because, like, San Francisco's sort of, like, oddity became really, like, uh, I think I, I, inseparable from like this version of like just basically hedonism, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting high, you know, like the hippies, yeah, jacking off on the street or whatever, yeah. And it's like that isn't like that's like a little different, and like yeah, and like or like tech people taking too oh, much God. acid and shit yeah. like that. And, like that's like a different. That's different. <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it, but like that's like that's like a. Um, that's a sort of mutated version of what, yeah, kind of totally. what it became. I say metastasized. Exactly. Yeah, metastasized is a good word for it. Yeah, absolutely. So Anchor was kind of doing badly, but was still like they weren't bottling beer anymore. They weren't canning it anymore. They were just selling it in various bars, and it was fucking sour and gross. So in 1965, this guy named Fr- – and this is really kind of Anchor's like famous era. Uh, 
a guy named Fritz Maytag. Very young guy, very rich, and I can give you one guess as to why he's rich, and that guess could be answered easily by his last name. Maytag. Yeah, I mean, it's right there in the name. Exactly, Maytag Appliances. This guy, I think fresh out of Stanford or something like that, you know, rich, rich young guy, bunch of money, drinks an anchor steam at the old spaghetti factory, walks over, takes a tour of the brewery, and then buys it for like $5,000. That's so cool. It's Yeah, it is. It, I mean, I, that's, it, you, you know. got to hand it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he— uh, I'll take it. That's what I always imagine. It's like, you know, you have like a crazy Monopoly money person, mm-hmm. and you can just like walk into a place, and you go, and you like look around, and then you go, I'll take the lot. And you It'd like kind so of like sick. make a big— gesture with your hand. I'll take the lot. Could you imagine like eating like a, a meal at a restaurant and feeling so satisfied and then to the waiter you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy this place. Fire you, but I'm <laughs> buying this place. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, I'll Fritz, take the lot. Fritz Maytag, I got to be honest with you. Rich guy, whatever, we hate rich people here, blah, 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 blah. He does a good job of running the fucking company. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it fucking happens. I mean, the thing is, he wasn't running this, and this, I think, is it becomes very germane, especially when we talk about the later iterations of the company. I mean, this guy is independently fucking super, super wealthy, mm-hmm. right? So, like, he's not searching for this sort of, like, infinite growth kind of thing. He's trying to actually... By all accounts, and like I, you know, I've worked with people that worked with him for a long time. You know, he, by all accounts, the guy really just wanted to have a good brewery. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> he was passionate about the product. Yeah, yeah, and he, he really was. cared about it. It was like almost like everything that I've read. I mean, this sounds corny, but it seems like he viewed himself more as like a steward than yes. like a profiteer. Yeah, even though he exactly. was, but. It was like he was trying to really do right by a product that he really believed in. And again, like this was not the most like – it's not like he bought Budweiser or something. You know what I mean? Like this wasn't printing millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. It's a local craft room. And it's funny because actually I was – there's an interview Dave Infante did with the historian who worked at Anchor when I worked there. This guy Dave Burkhardt Mm -hmm. uh, who – and he's talking about – he's still friends with Fritz and like goes and gets his haircut with him. And he says that when Fritz started there, he realized they were using baker's yeast. In the fucking, in the beer. Like, it was really bad beer. So he, yeah. like... You got, I don't know anything about beer, and I know that's not what you're supposed to do. I, I, me too. I, I, do know I worked at a brewery. The basics I still don't know how you of make fermentation beer. will tell me that that's not how that works. Exactly. And and so what he does is he, like, he constantly, he, he gets really passionate about this, and he realizes that, like, he knows that it's, like, very connected to San Francisco, right? It's really this link to, like, this 1896 era in San Francisco. And so... I mean, people, you know, might you might be familiar if you know anything about San Francisco. There was a big earthquake and a related fire in 1906. Yeah. People forget the fire. People forget the fire. You can't forget the fire. The fire destroyed the city. It wasn't the earthquake. It, w- it was the it fire was the, yeah. after the earthquake. That's well, how they the get you. The fire was caused by the earthquake. Yeah. That's, so it's a one-two punch. It's a one-two punch, but the second punch is really what the, the knockout was. Yeah. San Francisco basically almost entirely burned to the ground yeah. in, a, in 1906. Yeah. Like— not exaggerating a little bit. Like, the city was raised, decimated. Dust. They were blowing up. There was all these fire breaks they were doing on Van Ness. They were, like, blowing up buildings to try yeah. to prevent it from spreading. But there's very few things that have remained from the 1800s in San Francisco. I'm not talking about the building, but I'm talking about the company here. Anchor was this sort of link to that past there. And that Fritz understood that, right? Mm-hmm. And he understood that it linked from from the basically almost the genesis of this city— because Anchor had previously been a different brewery, whatever. But, you know, throughout the entire history of the city to this present day, right? And 65 when he buys it. And he really works on making it like this San Francisco institution sort of worthy of that name, you know? And it becomes 
a San Francisco institution. I mean, they really start experimenting. They, they refine the process of, of brewing the beer so that the kegs weren't sour, that it tasted good. Um, they they started making kind of different beers, too. They basically they invented the West Coast IPA. Got to be honest, I don't know what that means, but I know they invented it. All right, good for them. And the really notable thing here is that Anchor is sort of widely, it is widely known as the first craft brewery in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's such an icon that even so, I mean, you know, let's we'll move up for one brief second into the not-too-distant past, real close, you know, a little bit in the future from when we just left Anchor. But when Lagunitas, which is, a, a you know, kind of locally – uh, brewery to San Francisco up in Petaluma. Yeah. They sold to Heineken and the owner, and they're huge. I mean, I'm sure you've seen Lagunitas at your fucking grocery store yeah, because yeah, they've yeah. been, they've just they're expanded. Massive, yeah. yeah, they're massive. Um, but, you know, when they when they sold to Heineken in their press release, this is what it said, the revolution in brewing and in beer culture that began in, at 1705 Mariposa Street in San Francisco has metastasized to every corner of the world. Now, I do have a problem with him equating revolution with cancer yeah, there. Yeah, that is an interesting choice of words. But despite the kind of weird wording of that, I think it's it's notable that, you know, everyone knows to point to Anchor as the kind of locus of really what, like, craft beer and, you know, craft beer as, like, not movement cause, because it came, became yeah, that, this that other became, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a kind of, like, institution of, as like, a, what yes. it could be. It's like this is where it began. There's a good interview with uh, with Fritz Maytag from the Chronicle in in 2015, I think, which is actually five years after he sold the brewery, uh, and he gives this answer that uh, to to a question about um, you know his his sort of feelings about Anchor and about its relationship to San Francisco, and the answer he gives is he says, "Of course, I'm very proud of it." It went from having nobody who'd ever heard of it to slowly, slowly realizing that we had become what the Japanese call meibutsu, which is a famous local product. If you're in Japan and you go to Hamamatsu, you bring home smoked eel because everyone knows that smoked eel is the meibutsu of Hamamatsu. I like that concept a lot. I think Anchor did become that, part of the color of San Francisco, which after all is a city that's had a lot of color in its time. Mm. And I think that really, that I mean, I think about, there's a, there's a sort of, formerly famous uh, author named Herb Kane, mm. you know, who yeah. was kind of like the San Francisco writer about San Francisco yeah. for a, a long columnist. time. A columnist, yeah. yeah. My my dad said he once met him and he was an asshole. Which no, I would believe that. I would believe but it But in too. my head, Herb Kane is like, his face is made of fog. Yeah. Like he kind of like blows in and blows out with yeah. the fog of San Francisco. I mean, I love— he, And he just overlooks the city and then he says something that's a bit trite and corny but also kind of makes you feel good. Yeah. And you read it in the paper every day. Exactly. And I, I would actually—I would I would read it, I would read it at ex-girlfriend, Herb Kane, sometimes at night because it it's a good thing to read at He's night. Cozy. It makes you feel—it's very cozy. Um, like a big warm blanket of fog. Exactly. Uh, but it is it like it, it's 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 it, San Francisco was this like what he's saying like this this local product that we were proud of right like it was something that like people had like some like sort of civic pride about yeah and remember San Francisco is a small town it's a small fucking it's town fucking seven, seven miles by, by seven miles I mean I think it's closer to seven by five but I know that the line is that it's seven by seven yeah yeah. But it's real small. That's our fishing rights against Oakland. <laughs> so, like, if they if they have their trawlers come over, we, we're legally able to fire on them. And so, Anchor, Iceland. you know, is like a, a mascot of the city. It was exactly. like, it, you know, even its logo. It looks like it's a flag. You know, it's we had Anchor Steam and Crazy Crab. 
Well, unfortunately, Maytag actually sells it in 2010. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfo- I mean, the guy's old as fuck. Uh, you know, it's not like that crazy that it happened. But he sells it to these two guys who I'm sure that he thought were going to do like a really good job of turning the brewery around. They did not do the best job. They didn't run it into the ground, but they certainly did not improve its fortunes by any great margin. Um, it was two, I think, executives from Sky Vodka. They sold it, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they sold it at a loss to Sapporo. Yeah. So Sapporo is, of course, the Japanese company that makes Sapporo beer, which is, and I'm not just saying this because this is this is something that a lot of people think, it's the beer that you kind of only drink when you go to a Japanese restaurant. Yeah, right? you get yeah, you get a big. They always have the big tall ones. Yeah. Does it only come in tall form? Uh, I don't know. But, but it's always in not. tall form, and it's like people are like, oh, you go to Sapporo, we have sushi. Whatever. Exactly, yeah. People mostly drink it when, you know, when they go to Japanese restaurants. They had started an American subsidiary called Sapporo USA. Sapporo USA's one brewery they bought was Anchor. And I, th- I think this is a good sort of juncture to talk about craft brewery's relationship, or craft beer's relationship, rather, to uh, the big companies, right? Well, we kind of we're saying, you know, craft, you know, craft brewery, brewing. I can't say it. Craft brewing uh, was really fucking popular for a while, right? Yeah, huge. it was like a huge. It was almost like a movement. Yeah, in San Francisco, in Northern California, in Portland, it was huge. Portland Up in Seattle, funny. obviously through the Midwest, you're in beer country. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these kind of microbrews that popped up, and people kind of experimenting with things and kind of playing around and doing their their own thing and getting popular. Yeah, you know, and a lot of consumers really responded to that in local markets. Yeah, you know, so you had the rise of of you know like. I mentioned Lagunitas. You had Goose Island. You had these big, you know, kind of big popular spots that would open tap rooms. They would open other breweries. And yeah, they'd kind yeah. of like be able to kind of distribute more than, I don't know, they probably even thought when they got into it. Golden Road down in L.A., another example. And it's it, there was a sort of like, you mentioned it was kind of like a movement then. Yeah. And like I'm sure a lot of our listeners, if you're old enough, remember this, right? And Because it, it's, it's, I think it's changed a little bit. But like there was this whole thing of this like we're sticking it to the man by having these like kind of small beers. And it's like we, it's this whole thing where it's like you're supporting small businesses that care about you, not like the big beer companies. Yeah. Right? And so it sort of became this like kind of within the beer world, kind of a counterculture in some ways, right? There was like this countercultural ethos associated to it. It was like independent and they had these crazy labels with a motherfucking crazy goblin yeah. on it or whatever. <laughs> and it was called like, fuck you, ale. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was the 90s, it was right? The, it was, well, it was, yeah, the, the 90s, 90s and 2000s. Everyone and was, was doing this crazy it thing. It never got past the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s in terms of like, uh, the labels, at least, and the names no, of these things. No, but what I mean is that it was the 90s and the big beer companies were hurting, too. Yeah. Because it wasn't just that consumers were turning to these, like, little microbrew places that they were liking in there, you know, as a kind of, like, Gen X, fuck you, yeah. to the big companies. But also, like, consu- you know, and this happens a lot, consumer tastes in alcohol were also just changing. Which they do, yeah. And, like, big companies like Budweiser weren't doing so great. Mm-mm. And so they started to look... To like where the consumers were going, and we're like, shit, we better chase some fucking profits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so in 2011, AB InBev, which is the biggest beer company in America, horrible name, horrible name. I think it's like Anheuser Busch 
combined with InBev. Yeah, Anheuser-Busch, InBev. It was the merger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They started buying in 2011, started buying up craft breweries. And in fact, I believe they started, don't quote me on this, but I think you can quote me on this. I think they started with Goose Island mm. in Chicago. Now, I have a personal connection with Goose Island because I met a bunch of the people or a few of the workers there when, at Labor Notes in like 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. And I played a very minor advisory role in their own, their union campaign, uh, which there's actually, I think, a long article out about in the uh, Chicago, whatever, the newspaper they have there, Chicago Times. That is it? right. The Chicago, that's not No, that's the Herald. Uh, the Herald? The Daily Sh- Chicago Advertiser? But the big Chicago newspaper has an article about the basically the union busting campaign coming from Goose Island, like leadership or management uh, against the workers there, which unfortunately the, the management won that. Took me just ten minutes now to think of think of a Daily Planet joke. A Daily Oh yeah. Terrible. Clark Kent. Crazy that guy was a journalist. Crazy so no one could tell from the glasses. Remember when that one fucking jo- Ben something got pushed over by the Montana guy? The journalist what was that guy's name? Ben Collins? No, that, that's not him. That's a different guy. Anyways, the journalist got... Imagine if he did that to Clark Kent. Clark Kent would punch a hole through Well, you him. couldn't because... Oh, he has to keep it in. Well, he's too he's, strong. He's too strong. Yeah, unless Oh, you his hand would break punching yeah. him. Yeah, I would easily annihilate Superman with a well-placed shot in his eye. Well, you... Yeah, that's are true. I'm made different. of kryptonite. I'm different, exactly. Um, but they had a 75% card check, uh, and then the management fought back with some some union-busting techniques, which we'll actually talk about later in the episode, uh, and were able to beat it. But anyways, AB InBev bought up Goose Island and then really started buying up just so many of these breweries. Yeah. And I think from, you know, I think from just to kind of like flip the perspective on that, I mean, if I owned a brewery, I mean, look, a big company comes in and they're like, look, we can give you access to so much, like, so much infrastructure. Yes. We can, and this has been the case, right? And early on, a lot of breweries that sold to, you know, whatever it was at AB InBev or Molson Coors or Constellation or whatever it was, they suddenly had distribution networks that they would never had access to. Yes. They suddenly had, you know, a lot of freedom to experiment with new brews yeah. because they had access to facilities that they didn't have before. They had money. They had money. It's huge. Having that access to capital, at being a, a small business, I mean, it, it's totally game-changing. Exactly. So it's not just a selling out thing. Yeah. I just want to, like, they're, they're, but the, defend, they, the, defend the breweries I mean, the bit. thing is, like, there was— there was it's a hard choice. This was a hard choice for a lot of breweries, and there was a lot of pushback about this. Yeah. There was there was This was a big, very, 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 like— hot topic in the craft brewing world um, because it was viewed as like selling out. And then once your craft brewery gets all this capital behind it, you can outstrip your competition that might be independent. I mean, it's tough, you know? Yeah. It's tough. I think it is. It's both selling out, but also it's an opportunity. So it's it's a real tough decision for a lot of people. Well, a lot of these companies, a lot of these companies, like almost every, I'm not going to say almost every, but like a huge number of craft breweries ended up selling to one of the major beer brands, mostly to actually to AB InBev, mm. um, in the year since 2011. I mean, they had, I, I don't know the exact statistics on it, but they have like a significant portion, if not a majority of the industry, sort of within their portfolio of brands. And the interesting thing about that is, uh, you know, say, okay, right, we're a brewery that makes like a Mexican lager and like our flagship beer, which is... Uh, Braces, 
Brace's Funky Spiz. Brace's Funky Spiz IPA, and then a Mexican lager, right? Which is? Uh, Delightfully nutty, people call it, with a hint of frijoles. Let's say AB InBev, which owns us, buys up, of course, Liz Franzak Brewing Brewing Industries Limited, based out of Montauk. And you guys, of course, have uh, Liz's Pink uh, Light Beer. Pink Drink. Pink Drink, zero calories. 100 proof, the first 100 proof beer. 100 proof, zero calories. And a little bit of fentanyl. And you also produce a Mexican lager, right? Mm. So we are now competitors underneath the same brand. And so what happens is, is like AB InBev, you know, all these different, you know, these big kind of mega corporations that that own these beverage, you know, the, these beverage corporations that own these craft breweries would actually winnow away sort of algorithmically all but the best-selling one or two beers that are sold by these craft breweries. Yeah, and I think these companies, by the way, they pay a lot of money mm-hmm. to consultants, business management consultants, McKinsey who types. sit down and clicky-clacky, look at the numbers and look at how, what are the most efficient ways we can strip away anything that could be seen as a kind of um, wrench in the gears of extracting even the most minuscule profit. Exactly, yeah. And so, like, say, you know, Liz Liz Franzak Brewing Industries Limited in Montauk, yeah. her Mexican lager sells slightly better than my Mexican lager, which even though it has a hint of uh, old Mexico frijoles in it, sells 5% less, right? Yeah. But we're distributed by the same distributor. Del- Del- Deloitte or whatever that motherfucker Deloitte. is. Deloitte. Deloitte, McKinsey, some 25-year-old is sitting in an office at AB InBev and is like, cut the Belden Mexican lager. Yeah. No more frijoles. No right? more frijoles, and that's it. So if your favorite beer has disappeared <laughs> sometime in the past five years, and it's made by a craft brewery that's owned by one of these companies, which it most likely is, that is almost certainly the reason why. So Sapporo, right, starts up Sapporo USA. And buys Anchor in 2017. And so this was actually a pretty uh, momentous kind of occasion within the craft brewing world because Anchor had previously been independent, right, for a very long time and it held out a lot longer than the rest of these. But it was weird too because Sapporo didn't actually own – didn't really have an American presence, right? They own Sleeman's up in Canada. They own breweries and I think Vietnam – I know, Sleeman – but – Actually, the Sleemans came in very handy for me, which I'll tell you about. Um, they own, like, breweries outside of Japan, but, like, Sapporo USA had nothing in its portfolio yeah. except for Anchor. And so the thinking was when people were like, well, are they going to try to brew Sapporo here? Because, I mean, anyone who out there, I'm sure a couple of you have, taken a tour of Anchor, they're rather antiquated. It's very large facilities. Yeah. It's a whole city block and a half. Big, 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 big giant, like, factory, basically. Yeah. Uh, but not... The most, but also it's giant for Anchor. It's yeah. not Budweiser. It's not Bud. Yeah, it's like not the, Sapporo. It's not like those fucking breweries on Vallejo and shit. Yeah, yeah, it can't produce that. Like it couldn't produce something like that at that scale. Exactly. So they buy they buy Anchor for eighty five million. Everyone's kind of like, what are they going to do with this fucking? Place? Yeah. And so around that time, I needed a job, and a lot of my friends from growing up uh, work there. And I, that's, uh, you know, and a, p- a bunch of people I'd known had worked there. And so I got a job there. Uh, and uh, when I got a job there, it became apparent that there was uh, people wanted to, to unionize because they were afraid of the future of the company. 
you know, they were they were they were concerned about some issues at work, and they you know were owned by this massive corporation, which I mean, Sapporo is a huge international brand, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, America, it's mostly drunken Japanese restaurants, but like, it's big in Japan, and it's just like it's sold basically everywhere. I mean, it's it's a worldwide distribution, and so we're like, well, okay, there's some money around about this, but like, nobody's jobs are getting easier, and the pay. So when I started working there, I got paid minimum wage. Which when was that at the time? I think that, and this will shock many of our listeners outside of California or San Francisco, but I think it was like fourteen dollars yeah. an hour. It's not only it's only going up to sixteen. Insane. Seventy this summer, I think. Yeah, which I again, like, if you live in like you know Arkansas, you might be like, you're getting paid. It's San Francisco. That's really not a lot of money. Yeah, I was desperately broke. The entire time I worked there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, you know, it, it was, this is an example. Like, you know, you're supposed to get a raise after a few months there, right? But a few months after I started working there, they raised the minimum wage. And so my raise was just, it went up with the minimum wage. And like, that was my raise. Right. And so all Classic. these, exactly. And like, there yeah. was no, there was no way to, un, like, to get a better pay, really. There was like, the, the, I mean, the fucking raises were dog shit. Like, they would give, like, two out a year to two, like, random employees, basically. Um, there was uh, there was no way to, like, get a, a fast track to a better job, like, there were, or any track to a better job there. I mean, it was, it was kind of a shitty job that was, like, most of the guys I knew there were, like, punk dudes and skaters. I mean, there was a lot of older guys that worked there from the Maytag era who got paid. Uh, Fritz made it so, like, it was in the, you know, whoever owned the brewery had to pay them what he was paying them. And Fritz Maytag didn't want a union there. He's a rich guy. But he did the smart thing that rich people do sometimes where he paid everyone insanely high. <laughs> to keep them. To keep them, right? Yeah. And so, and also, like, you know, you're getting paid, like, several times more than you would get paid at any other brewery. It, you're not going to unionize. You know, you're like, this is great. Why would I want to fuck with this? Uh, but guys like me and most of the people who had worked there for since like 2010 were not getting paid very much. And the hours were really like, you know, sometimes you'd be working like, you know, every possible hour. And then the next week they would schedule you for like five hours. Mm. So it was impossible to do any kind of planning, but it's also impossible to keep like a part-time job outside of that because with the way it would work is we would basically fill these large orders and you never knew when, like, an order of 600 barrels in a day would come down. So, like, you can't start working at the flower shop part-time because you don't know if you'll have to work at the brewery part-time that yeah, day. Yeah, I remember when you were working there. I mean, you were almost, like, on call. It was yeah. very weird the way the scheduling was working. Yeah. And the hours were insane. <laughs> the hours sucked, yeah. I have, I have, as as long as I'm listening to the show, will know I have sleep problems. And yeah, I and the hours at Anchor did not help. Did not help. Oh I think, think I was up at, like, 5 every day to go there, which I know that's— for a lot of jobs, but you never met a guy who has, has bad sleep problems as me. It was rough. Mm. Uh, so I basically slept like two hours every night, not for lack of trying. Um, and it just, it sucked, you know? Like there was no, there was just like, it was kind of, there was an air of depression for a lot of people that worked. And it's just like you weren't, and you were getting paid shit, right? And it's, San Francisco, the Bay Area is an expensive place to live. You know, a lot of, some of my coworkers were sleeping on couches you know, it was just like, it was... It well, was, in the years of 2011 to then, too, it got... San Francisco got crazy more expensive. It changed a lot, it yeah. It changed a lot in those years. So we got together with um, 
some people I knew from, from DSA and from ILWU, which is the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, um, which does its dock workers up and down the West Coast, also warehouses and uh, and and sailors, like inland sailors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we basically started having these meetings. I've talked about this, I think, have I talked about this on the show? I'm sure I have. I don't know if you have. Um, but, you know, we did this, you know, we unionized, essentially. So, like, we, yeah. we did is, like, there was a group of five of us who had an organizing committee, we met, uh, you know, once a week. We we went over. We everyone had a list of names. You assigned everyone a number, one through five. You know, five being they're like a big supporter, or you know they're going to support one hundred percent, and then one being like there's nothing you can do to change this person's mind. Like mm-hmm. they're not going to they're not going to change. And so you assigned everyone you knew it was going to be one way or another their number, and then everyone else, which was most everybody, was blank until you talked to them. And you would sort of sound them out, you know, a few different talking points, see how they felt about things, see what people's concerns were. Uh, and you would, uh, then we would meet and we would talk, we would all assign, there was about five of us, we were all, uh, you know, would, would assigned, uh, assigned ourselves different sections of people. And we would have like a few people each week to talk to and have one-on-ones with. And we would, you know, we would meet with them outside of work. Of course, it's a brewery, right? So people drank together, you know? And Anchor is a tap room. People would, would hang out there and talk. Um, obviously, not in earshot of any management or anything like that. Um, and, uh, and we, you know, we slowly sort of worked up to where we actually had quite a lot. We had a pretty big organizing committee at one point. Like, a, a, like think, how many people? Like 10 people or something yeah. like that, like coming to meetings, which is, it's tough to get 10 guys to come to a meeting totally. sometimes. Totally. In any circumstances, let alone after fucking work, yeah, right? Yeah, no wants to shit. Um, and, uh, and, you know, eventually we, we had enough people to where we could do something called a card check. Now, can you explain what that is? Easy. So the card is actually a card that you sign that, that it states your intention that you want to join a union. Mm-hmm. And what it's really doing is it's calling for an election. Now, people who might remember Obama's, I think it's his first campaign. He campaigned on card check. Yeah, which universal would mean, card check. Exactly. Which would be, because all, you, you know, if you're, we're talking right now, you'd think like, hey, wait, if somebody signs a card that they want to join a union, doesn't that, are, that's a yes vote on a union, right? You'd think. You'd think. And so like if a majority of employees sign a card, that means that they're, they want a union. You'd think. What it actually does is it calls for an election with the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. And so what it does is essentially gives the company a certain amount of time to mount a campaign against you. Yeah, and yeah, a little chance for an intervention. Exactly. And so legally, the NLRB sets it like something like 35% you need card signed to, to, to call for an election, which is uh, is a dangerous number because some people will actually will do that, will get 35% of their coworkers to sign a card and then call an election and then lose the election, right? right? Because what you actually need is you need like 75, 80% yeah. of people because you're going to lose some people. Yeah, you got to bake in the exactly. You, you always got to bake in. Get little, little weak willies. So we got something like 80% of people, and which is crazy because you're like, wow, 80% of people that I work with want a union. And of course, it never actually turns out that way, but like legally, that's, you should be able to have a union after yeah. that. Uh, we march on the boss, we, which is funny because I had anchors several stories and I'd actually never been to the stories where there's an <laughs> office. So I had, I didn't know where I was going. And I, you Do know. you and how many people go up there? About five of us okay. went up there. Um, did you have the cards in hand? Like, I, I had, I did. Yeah. And I had Mr. Our, Belden goes to Washington. Exactly. And I, I was, I, I went up to a guy who looked official and I was like, 
uh, who can I give this to? And he's and like, I don't even work here. I, he was like, he was like German or something. He was like, oh. I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> what is going? I think he was like worked in marketing. Oh. Uh, in which case, you were doing a bad job. But uh, uh, and. People thought the Japanese and the Germans would never work together. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. They kind of a, yeah, storied history there. We get sent to a conference room and have to wait for a guy for like, ten, a pay, very panicked guy for about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> give him the paper. And nothing happens for a few days. Um, and then they launch this campaign against the union. And that was um, – an interesting experience because so that was coming from Sapporo in USA. Japan. Yeah. And well, in US. Sapporo USA Both? was just like some people from Sapporo, Japan. It's like kind of a show. It's not a show company because it's, it's not, not a show, show company, company, but, but it's, it's like, like a holding company. It's a whole it's not like they hired like an American CEO. Like these are dudes from Japan. When but they also, did, like you said, they didn't have another they didn't have any other breweries under them. Exactly. It yeah. was so it's like kind of a holding company just for anchor. And like I'd sometimes see Japanese guys in the brewery, but like they didn't talk to us. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like we didn't I, I didn't I had no relation with them, you know, like we we'd never met them or anything like that. I think they introduced us to like a vice president in charge of something at some like all hands meeting. He talked for two minutes, you know. It was like that kind of relationship. Yeah. And so they do these kind of like classic, really classic union busting tactics. I think they hired they hired a firm, um, which is always what they do in an employee, employer relations advisor. Yeah. You know, advisor well, that's firm. what I did here when I was busting you guys. Of course. Uh, and they, they really, no matter where you're working, they have the same playbook, right? Yeah. Is they tell you like they tell you a bunch of bullshit, like oh, the union's just gonna take you know they take your money, like and of course, yes, you do pay dues to a union. But, like, nobody would – you don't start paying until you have a contract and nobody's going to sign a contract that – like, nobody's going to vote for a contract where they lose money, right? (laughs) Right, Like, nobody's going to unionize and then have a contract being like, all right, you actually – your pay is exactly the same, but now you have to pay union dues and you get no benefits. And also, no one's going to sign a – no one's going to be surprised. Yeah. Because the whole point is that this is all being – Everybody knows, yeah. Everybody knows and it's transparent. And our union dues were, like, nothing too. So it was like that didn't really work. And then they started having these small group meetings with us where they were like, hey, like, you know, we have an open door policy here. I could just see, like, I love, I wish there should be a show about that. But you have like Union Buster guy who comes in, those consultants, but they're just like, hey, man, you're looking kind of down today. You want to chat? Yeah. You kind of like outreach a little bit and you're kind of like, hey, man. Kind of like sideways cap, kind of trying to be like one of the guys. Jack Jack Bensinger has like a, a good skit he did about being like a Starbucks union busting consultant. <laughs> oh, I bet. Um, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, they did that kind of shit with us, and they were like, you know, like oh, you, you might actually like. There's no guarantee that you'll get a raise. It's like, yeah, but we're unionizing to do that. Like, yeah. you're never gonna give me a raise. So yeah. why would okay? That's the status quo. Actually, that's just, literally the status quo. Is I've never gotten a raise. <laughs> Uh, and they started talking like, well, you know, money, we don't know about the money. And we're like, I'm like, listen, I, ha- I brought the financials. I was like, support looks like it's actually doing pretty good. Mm. And then, um, you know, it's the fact is, is that every Sapporo brewery in the world, as far as I could tell, I couldn't tell if the one in Vietnam was unionized, but I assume it is, um, is union, including the ones in Japan. So I got mm. in contact with the Japanese workers at Sapporo and I got in uh, contact with with the Sleeman's workers and I actually got the contract from Sleeman's. They're Teamsters up there. Um, and I got their contract mm. and I, I looked and I brought – I would bring this – I actually passed out copies of the contract. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I looked at – and my job at Sleeman's in Canada, that guy was getting paid like $35 an hour. 
And I know it's Canadian money, but that guy's getting paid way a more lot than you, more than I am. Yeah, and, and so way they, more than your coworkers. And so I would pass this out to anybody. We would all, you know, obviously in every small group meeting they'd have, there'd be one of us in there. So I would give someone a contract. And yeah, like, I, I, you know, I had the contract, and I would show people this contract. Left copies of it around. Um, you know, it and, it and they would do this stuff like, hey, we're family, right? We're family. And it's like, you're not my family. You're the guy that pays me $14 an hour, right? And like to come here at 5 in the morning. Like my dad would never do that. He wouldn't own a brewery. Um, That's why I call you guys my family. Exactly. Because yeah, I make yeah. you come here at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's true. Um, and, and another tactic they do, which they didn't do very successfully with us, is they, they often try to play races off against each other, mm. right? So like in like a restaurant environment, the front of house will be oftentimes like English speaking, if not often very like white people, yeah. right? Back of house will be Spanish speaking, you know, immigrants. And they will have like specific consultants that are like, all right, fuck the white people are all like, they're going to, they're like, Bernie Sanders, bisexuals or whatever. But like the Spanish-speaking people, we can A, threaten them with deportation. And then this didn't happen at Anchor. But like they, they but can— But it's a classic tactic. This is a classic. I've, I, campaigns that I've worked on, this has happened. Yeah. Uh, they'll like, th- you know, they'll sort of subtly hint at like maybe deportation, loss of immigration status. Uh, maybe someone's not legal. That knowledge is always out. You know what I mean? Like that is, that, that is in the air there. Um, and they'll pit, they'll pit basically races against each other. Um, you know, they'll, 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 they'll do all of these different, like, kind of like really weaselly, weaselly, weaselly fucking mm. tactics. And they'll really ratchet up the tensions. Yeah. So we did this campaign where we were actually, we put up, um, I, I had a list of every single, uh, vendor of San, of anchor in San Francisco. And, uh, we had these giant rallies, uh, which, yeah, you, you were there. I remember. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys went to, yeah. um, yeah. And uh, we had uh, we support anchor workers like big posters that yeah, we, totally. we put up in every place that served anchor because there is an implicit threat there that I will continue to make implicit and not explicate. But there's an implicit threat there, sure. right? That we support the workers. We also sell your beer, right? right? And we had rallies. We had multiple rallies. I got to go on TV. Um, which was nice, uh, <laughs> which I can't find the footage of, but I have a picture of it. And we should say, I mean, I do want to say these posters were all over San Francisco. All over San Francisco. Because Anchor is served everywhere. Everywhere. Every bar. Every single bar in San Francisco has it. If not on, I mean, I, every single, I, I don't think yeah. I've been in a bar in San Francisco that didn't have an Anchor It'd be theme. insane. It'd be always, you, they just always had it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the culmination of that big public campaign that we did, which was really crucial because we didn't tell people to stop drinking Anchor. We told people to keep drinking Anchor, but there's also in something implicit there. Yeah. We also – implicit – listen, implicit's great, We right? love to be implicit. We got lots of I'm letters. I'm implicit on this show all the time, which mm-hmm. a lot of the little – you know, little inspires a lot of scuttlebutt among the gumshoes, which I appreciate. And – those are little breadcrumbs for you. Little breadcrumbs, right? Q style. You know, keep them on their toes. Exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. So we, when you know, and we, you know, a letter from in Japanese from a Japanese, not only the Sapporo Union, but like a rail union, yeah, um, that maybe carries Sapporo is that there's that's good to show people, right? Because that means like, look, there's guys in Japan that are on your side, right? And they carry Sapporo on their trains. Um, so we won, obviously. Spoiler no. alert. Spoiler alert, we won. Yeah. We fucking smashed that motherfucker. Fucking we won the shit it. out of that. Uh, and then uh, there was a contract campaign. And at that point, like, you know, there was there was guys that were stepping up who are still stepping up, who are still rocking that. I'm like, 
you know what? Take the fucking, I'll support you guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, did an insane job. And they got it to where, like, my job that I got hired for at $14 an hour now, you're like 20. I mean, I, I don't know the exact I did know the exact numbers pretty recently, but I didn't write them down, unfortunately. Um, but you're, like, making, like, $21 an hour now. That's huge. It's huge. I mean, it's insane. And there's, like, phasing for, for, for raises. There's, like, actual progression at work. Like, you can get, like, you can get better jobs there. Yeah, and move up the ranks a little bit. There's job security. There's health care. Like, Incredible. It's, yeah, the schedule is, like, is rationalized. I mean, it, it changed a lot. But, of course, 2020... COVID, right? Mm. And so COVID, obviously, the brewery was still going, but skeleton crew. Um, it's really good that they got the contract before COVID because there was a lot of job security there. That they yeah, didn't have totally. Before. But Sapporo took that time to put in automation. And so, you know, you know the Truanon's feeling about automation, right? We hate the robots. We don't like the robots. We don't like the robots. Smash the robots. And, and here's the thing. We're right because when I was working on the line there, we're doing 600 barrels a day, right? Not every day, but we have the capacity to do 600 barrels a day. It's a lot. Now, with the robots, it's like 300. It's why? Like the, it's because it just, it's slower. It's slower. That's, that's why. It's slower. There's literally no it other is. explanation. It's just literally slower. Of course it is. And that is, I mean, think about that. That's a 50% capacity reduction. Yeah, 50%. that's crazy. That's a bad business decision. That wasn't the only bad business decision. The rebrand. Oh my God. Anchor rebranded. Now, I don't know if we're going to, how we can show you guys this because you've really got to see the visuals you of it. You've got to see the visuals of it. It is so bad. The original Anchor Steam logo, we talked about it. It is an icon. It's kind of like a little wonky wheelie. Like it is, it's like a little quirked, but not in a like corporate quirk Not way. in a corporate quirk this way. It's is not like, gaw. It's not it's like an old sailor chickpea man. pasta. Yeah. Yeah. This is like an old sailor guy who's just like hanging out and maybe he's like, oh, my letters are a little loopy because I've had a couple of years. Yeah. 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 And it's it's classico. It's cla- it is definitionally definitionally classico. Classico. I mean, look at it. Now they rebranded in 2021. I can't. I don't know why this happened or why this continues to happen, but it looks awful. It looks like the logo for a condo development inside a like University of Michigan themed airport. Yeah. Yes. It is. Horrible. It looks it, it, it looks like airport beer, right? This is what they said. We're honoring our past no. while staying true to our roots with a look as bold as the brand it represents. But with beer as it is with people, it's what in it's what's inside that counts. And we didn't change a thing about our iconic beers. But it's also about no, you did. You fully did. It's one awful. of the reasons it was iconic was because of the branding of the beer, because of the way the labels looked, the fucking the bottle caps looked, everything looked. And then it had to change. It changed, and like if you go to that brewery, that brewery is like an old school fucking giant ass concrete motherfucking building, like old San Francisco building, the post office, downtown, all that shit. Uh, and it's totally incongruent with that. Right. Yeah. And like that, that's what I'm saying is like, it's this like disconnection from like the history and like what made and like, yeah, like, okay, yo, I'm a communist or whatever. But it's like, yes, sometimes like the things that actually cities produce are what makes that city like that, that, that gives that city its connection to its past. Of course. Right? I mean, what is, what is 
what's represented in this is the relations that produced it. Exactly. Yeah. It's the people. It's the places. It's the it's it's everything. It's yeah, exactly. And like what this does, what it's nakedly trying to glom on to the fucking warrior. No disrespect to the to the warriors moving to San Francisco, right? Like, that's why they changed Which, it. Which, don't even get me started on that I decision. I won't get you started. No. I would it's, never defend that yeah, decision. Yeah, of course. Insane it's decision. It's fucking horrible. Chase but, like, Center this is just trying to, trying to glom on to that shit, right? Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's that you'll recognize it a mile away. It has been completely smoothed out of any kind of eccentricity, any kind of human touch, any sort of fingerprint. And it's that, you know, I know it's like Lindy Mann calls it like refinement culture or whatever. Yeah, it is. But it is that, you know, it is that kind of like, you know, boardroom meeting, you know, market researched yeah. to the to the end. Yeah. Just completely stripped of all kind of like blood and guts and fun. And, and it's history. History, yeah. It's connection to the world, right? And just, yeah, smoothed out, easy. No personality. No personality. No, it looks like it's it's the it's the it's the design equivalent of a Whole Foods at the bottom of a mixed use condo. Yeah, you know, and like it's and it's just it's yeah. And they were it's funny. It's because like when they rebranded, like they were prior to that, they were going to do like a collaboration with Thrasher, right? Another former employer of mine. This is like, I hate a, fucking company. No, stop doing collaborations. Yes, but it is. But it's San Francisco, Thrasher is like a San Francisco company, I know. right? I know. I also hate collaborations, right? When we did someone, I was like. Oh. But they were San Francisco companies, at least, and it's just like it's like totally became it became like nothing, right? Like they, they this is it is directly attacking why people liked the beer, yeah. And you know, so the lines automated, they change it, and then they you know they kind of like they back out of these collaborations, and then they buy Stone Brewing, which is another big brewery, or it's another California brewery, in late 2022. And that is really when I'm like, oh, this is their strategy now. Because the thing is, they had tried to make Sapporo at Anchor. Mm -hmm. And Anchor is, let's say that it was an imprecise <laughs> method sometimes. Right? You know, it's, it's a it's human by touch. people. It, 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 no, it does have the human touch, right? Yeah. I, I racked any, if you drank fucking Anchor out of a fucking keg any time between the time that I worked there, I fucking kegged that, right? Which is insane. Yeah. Because I should be nowhere near that. Things that can explode like that, but uh, but it's like they 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 buy this other brewery, and they can brew Sapporo, and it's called Stone, mm -hmm. and like it's just like it 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 becomes is basically replicating the AB InBev thing, mm. uh, and that leaves us basically where we're at today, right? I mean, that's like they they announced that they're discontinuing this Christmas sale, and the Christmas sale had been in an unbroken line for forty nine years. Yeah, you know? it was like a special thing that was always, you know, it was a big deal when it would be in stores. Mm -hmm. It had a special Christmas label that was always different every year. Hand-drawn. Hand-drawn. It always had a really cute little Christmas tree on it in mm -hmm. some way. And they're just not doing it anymore. And it was a staple of the city. Exactly. Yeah, the holiday was, time. It, it was like a classic. I've literally given time. them as Christmas gifts to people the yeah, magnums totally um and you know we would at the at the brewery like we would all get off the line that we usually worked and like work the line that had those for like you know a week or two and it was just like it was something that we did people loved the christmas sale and uh and they're they're cu they're cutting that as well and like you know i'm not here to like be like a get on a podcast and be like i want this fucking beer back or whatever because that's not what it's really about like yeah. it's not about me i don't drink beer i you know i would get in some trouble 
if I did. <laughs> I maybe be start being a cool guy. But like it's really about that like this this it's this this funny thing that these that happens is like things that you like and things that you like you hold sacred without maybe even knowing it, right? Like these companies come in and they have these consultants and they will just like fucking chip and chop away at it until it's like something that's so disconnected from the past that it might have well have been reborn every single day as the sun rises. And I think they look to strip something. If they can't, you know, if they can't somehow chase these like these profits that are so hot, you know, they have to strip everything yeah. that could ever be seen as an inefficiency, like we're saying, to any possible profit. Yeah. Everything has to get stripped away. Yeah. That it could be in the road on the way. To efficiency. To that profit. And in doing so, it takes all of the character, everything that kind of made that thing, it's the thing. And, it's, and now it's not that anymore at all. I mean, that's you, you, yeah, that's a good point, Like, right? Like inefficiency is like – it actually – I mean, not that I'm like, you know, giving any great revelations here. But it's like inef- the inefficiency in some of these things are actually what gives it its beauty, right? Mm. Which gives it like its connection to like the, the, the spirit of mankind and like the earth and stuff. It's like it's, it is the inefficiencies, right? We're not robots. And and what what happens is is like these big companies come up and buy up you know maybe a place that is inefficient and then make it efficient and then are shocked that like it sells less, yeah. you know, and like that people that the that that the spirit is they they try to drain the spirit and then are shocked that the spirit is drained, and I think it's so like it's emblematic of like so much of San Francisco, right? Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. You know, we haven't. It's funny because we started this podcast in San Francisco. Yeah, but we're not there anymore. No, we're not. I haven't been back. When was the last time? You, oh, we were there in we November. Were there in November. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Of course, of course, we were there in November. Yeah. It's funny. We stayed in the Tenderloin, which probably a mistake. I'll say it. Liz smokes fucking some some <laughs> ice, dude. Liz got on some Tina. I'll say you know it's you know it's real fashionable. I think right now to really rag on San Francisco and talk about how insane it is. Um, and how much has changed and all of that and just, like, presented as this kind of, like, lawless city. Yeah. <laughs> which I don't think is completely correct. No. But that it is the worst that I've ever seen it in my entire life. Yeah. And yeah. it's really sad. Like, it makes me really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about it, too, with, like, like you know, it's like— you notice that, like, all these, all of our websites kind of, like, have stopped working. You yeah. notice that? Like, yes. we talked about that on the show. Like, it's, like, Twitter kind of, like, is just a bunch of bots. You're doing that thing now where you're, like, calling bots if on you Twitter. Say, uh, for those of you who are on Twitter, if you say, I need a sugar daddy yeah, in any format. I got questions about these on, tweets, by the way, that I didn't was not prepared to answer. I need a sugar daddy. I do need one. I'm not, like, looking for one, but I need one. But often sugar mamas will hit you up, too. But what is it? So it's if just you like, say I need a sugar daddy on Twitter, you will immediately get all these bots that just say DM. Oh but God. it's cool because they picked all ugly people of of men and women uh, as the as the avatar as the avatars to make it like more realistic. I DM'd with one, and I believe it unfortunately wasn't was a man in India. Oh my God! Yeah, presenting as a woman. But they're bots. Mommy. I mean, the whole they're site is useless. It's all wonky. Yeah. I mean, Facebook is like a literal insane asylum. Yeah. I, yeah. Google like doesn't. You have to like game the Google algorithm in order to find information. Like none of this shit works anymore, and it yeah. feels like the people who built it have kind of abandoned it and left it for us to kind of figure out. Like yeah. everything there on the internet and all these websites are scams. It's all just like everything new that's created is like some version of like, you know, a, a new gambling token it's or whatever. Scams, it's all, all just ways down. to scam yeah. 
people. And we're all just sort of like left to like figure it out yeah. and kind of make our way because they this is the world now and we have to use all of this stuff. And it's like the same thing in San Francisco, the place where they all fucking designed these websites. They yeah. all came in. And they redesigned the city in their image in a lot of ways. I mean, they maybe really not did. even purposely, but it was the effect. And then they just kind of abandoned it. Yeah. And I go to that place and we see it, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I, I don't want to be one of those people who like complains about it. it's not so it's like some Fox News like crime place. But we just have to be realistic about what's going on there. Like it's, it's the worst up. that I have I, I mean, I grew up there and then I lived there for like seven years. Yeah. After that. And like it's it's not great, it's and not. I feel like it's been abandoned a bit. Well, it's to me what I think of it's happening is like all of these companies came in, and like this is really what made me like kind of think about like maybe we could do an anchor episode or whatever. Like these companies came in, and they saw they saw this like germinal essence of what makes the San Francisco at least like so excellent. And you can really take out San Francisco and put your own fucking city in because I know this has happened to a lot of major cities. It's like they come in and they see like what, what makes this place beautiful and unique and, and, and what makes the people who live there love it. And they try to mine that essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And they try to, they try to tap into that. But what they do is that it's like, I mean, and this is what I got called a fucking NSM and the daily beast for they're vampires, right? They come in and fucking suck it dry and kind of leave this husk behind. And then they say, and then they're like, Oh, you did this. They point to the people that live there and say, you did this. And it's like, you did this motherfucker. Like you came here, you fucked this up. Like, there is, it's not like, that's that's what drives me crazy because it's like all these fucking tech motherfuckers, like Gary Tan, all these fucking stupid motherfucking cocksuckers out there who fucking like b- popping off all the time. It's like, huh, I wonder if there's any connection between all of all of your cohort coming here and what it is today. I wonder if they, I wonder, that's crazy that they just happened at the same time. You know, it's like obviously there is. And it's more, it's even more than that. It's like these, like the re- I thought I would never, ever, ever, ever move out of San Francisco. Yeah. Ever. I probably told you guys that. And then I, at one point I had to look around and be like, I, there's nothing I know. You know, there's yeah. nothing I know here. Uh, and, and it, and it, and it, it's heartbreaking. I still, I think, I think about San Francisco literally every day. Um, you know, and it, it's just like, it's, 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 I mean, it's just the way it goes, I guess, you know, it's just like, it, it, but I'm not saying like, obviously things change everywhere, right? Like that's the nature of history, you know, marches on, but like, this is a, a different, more peculiar aspect of it, right? Where it's like, it's a, it's like strip mining the soul of these places and these, these institutions that you might love and Castro theater being turned into a fucking like event space for whatever, for what's it fucking called? Did it? Yeah. It's now turned into like, uh, let's do it. It's, uh, it's, it's like an only fans, uh, not only fans, only one song that it's another planet. Another Planet Entertainment, I think, owns. I don't even know uh, what that Great is. American. It's like it's like Golden Voice or something like that. Oh. Um, but it's like they take these things and they inhabit them and they wear them, right? Like it's you know it's like uh, Leatherface or whatever. Um, but there's these like secondary effects too, right? Because it's also, I mean, I was thinking about this. We were talking about this episode, and I was just kind of thinking a lot about San Francisco over the past couple of days and like remembering stuff. And I remember I was living in the hate when. A lot of these startups really started going, 
And it would be like ones of like, oh, now you don't have to do laundry anymore. You just come and we're, you come. there's lockers and you just leave your laundry and then mm. it just magically is laundry done. Laundry locker some, on Lower Head. I used to walk past that on the way yeah, to Anchor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. lived like a block from there. And I mean, all of these companies, by the way, don't exist anymore. No, no. And they, it's, they it's they ridiculous. But it has changed the way that cities, like cities depend on a kind of like, you know, various, like, interwoven matrices of mutual dependence, yeah. right? I mean, yes. you could say, like, those living in society. But cities literally depend on that, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you guys, uh, you know, they d- depend on them that economically and socially. We're not a sack of potatoes. <laughs> no. But, all, but you know, for, you you know, you need your lo- local laundromat to support your local, de- you know, all of yeah. these kinds of things and neighbors and people. And you're all next to each other and— uh, building stuff for your neighbors and for your community and, like, literally at your jobs or, and, and whatever. And all of that stuff goes into making a city what, is, what a city is and making it thrive and not turn into, you know, decay and danger, which it always has the chance of doing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying anything unique. Many I've contributed have, to that decay and danger before. Well, no, I mean, this is all, you know, many, many people have written about this, and yeah. I'm not some urbanist or whatever, but I'm saying, like, and all these sorts of like the quote unquote like tech revolutions in the service economy or whatever have completely and totally gutted like yeah. that social dependence and that economic dependence in neighborhoods. And so you have people where you don't, you, you know, all those businesses and obviously after COVID too, there was no, there was no one for them to serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it just completely has gutted so much of what has made— I mean, we were talking, and I, I can't believe that a place like North Beach has survived. Insane. It makes yeah. me so happy. You know, really, the Italians, you know, if you've got a civil gotta, society there. Yeah, it's a yeah. thick civil society. But they've—I mean, really, North Beach is still such a special place. Even the flower shop that I worked there with the fake gypsy owners is still there. <laughs> And I don't know. I mean, I, I know a lot of people say this is just what happens. This is, you know, and I know that's true. And and, and I feel, like, wistful about it, yeah. you know? I don't know. I, I think, think it, I think it's right to. Yeah. I think it's okay to feel wistful and nostalgic for things. But I also don't think that history is some, like, like, progress is not just, like, some forward march forever. Like, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah, yeah. You know, like— Benjamin always had, like, a great thing where he was like, um, you know, I'm going to butcher this, but because <laughs> off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, Marx talks about, you know, the the locomotion of history. Yeah. The revolution is the locomotion of history. And he was saying, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, you know, people trying to get off the train. Yeah. And it's that moment of saying stop. Yeah. You know? And I think about that a lot, you know? And it makes me, like— this is so corny, but we haven't been corny in like a while, we so it's corny. okay. Yeah, we stopped being And we're corny. going long, and who knows how many people are actually listening at this point. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel bad. Like, I want to go back. Like, I, yeah. like I, I want to know that there are people that are there to like take care of that place. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm that person because it's not one person. I'll probably end up there again. But, yeah. <laughs> but like, it takes people that really fucking love that place to take care of it. And I just— you know, I feel like a lot of people came in and then they left and it's been abandoned and it just makes me really, really sad. Yeah, yeah. I think when you talk about this stuff sometimes, it's like people have this sort of reflexive, almost defense of it, right? Like things get worse, it's fine. Like things get worse, things get worse. But it's like it is um, 
I think, I think, and again, like I probably sound like some fucking Gen X guy or whatever, boomer guy or whatever, but like I, I think really one of the most important things about being a human being is like is this connection with other human beings. And it's like the way that 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 that's technology and that like you know driven trends in society because the way that our economy works now, like social trends, um, basically are totally at odds with that, right? And like if you live in a city, the city, the environment now does its best to sever you from your others. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like it, – it really is like it, they want you – I mean it's like at home eating Netflix, ordering Grubhub. Totally. Uh, you know, like getting getting your fucking – meeting people off of apps, all this stuff. It's like like okay, like I understand why this stuff all happens like in it, you know, it's discrete forms, right? Like I, I see what led to all of these things. And I'm not – like I'm not a fucking social scientist. Dude. I'm just saying like this is how it is to me as somebody who is in this thing, you know? It's like it, it – it's 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 – it's there's a reason that you fucking are on so much fucking Lexapro and that you're fucking crazy <laughs> depressed, right? And it's like it, it's 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 not something to relish or just to like to be like oh like you know uh, it's 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 like we saw that that the John Early special. It's like talking about how like the ads are. Like oh I'm I'm I hate everybody I order Grubhub or whatever it's like well actually like you should like love your fellow human beings and like try to try to be be among them and I think that like there's this leap that a lot of people go into and this is like this is why everyone you know is so anxious and everyone you know is so miserable it's because it's like it really you have to actually like be able to get past that ledge and like connect with people and it's really difficult to do because everyone else is is basically in this same sort of hole that you are. Right, and it's like you have to kind of claw out of your hole and try to try to be in this society—a society that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, you know, I think about back to the union campaign, right? Like it's like in that I, I've been really, honestly—I don't want to say blessed. I don't mean this in the blessed way, but I have been like blessed to experience throughout my life. Blessed. It's okay. Um, the joys of like brotherhood, right? And of like of struggling alongside my fellow man and like for a goal, right? Multiple times in my life I've been able to do that. And there is a reason that is like throughout history known as one of the most like as beautiful life-changing things that you can do is to struggle alongside your fellows in a real way. And like and a lot of a lot of the political things I see people, people basically replicate what they do on the outside, right? There's like backbiting, there's I, I hate you, blah, 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 blah. Insane people bumping up into under insane against other insane people, but like really this 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 kind of stuff. It's like you understand like it's uh, the the quiet joys of brotherhood, right? And it's it is it is a feeling that is that is completely unmatched. And I think a lot of people want that feeling in some form or another, uh, and then then maybe don't pursue it or like you know fall into anxiety or depression or something like that which I, I those are real things right i'm not i'm not trying to dismiss that uh, although it, it probably sounds like i am but uh but like nothing nothing gets done unless you do it is really like that's a stupid fucking i i was always making fun of marcus aurelius in the last episode but it's like <laughs> that is true it's like all these people it's like people literally ask me it's like why well, it's like you just do it like yeah. there is like you can't – people always, like, wait for their, like, Lenin or whatever. It's like – well, or, like, their leader or whatever. People uh, – just you do it, right? Like, you go – or be a – I'm good at taking orders. It's like go be a person who's incredibly good at taking orders. Like, be – I mean, that sounds weird to say, but, like, you know, be like, <laughs> be a worker among workers. Be, be – be, you know, be, be – but – but you actually like nothing gets done unless you do it. It's really, really what I I, I think. And like it's uh, 
it's 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 that's the that's the thing I think a lot of people sort of sort of don't get past that. It's like they think that like something's gonna come along and is gonna sweep them up in this beautiful tide that they'll be able to just like roll on with everybody else in. But like that tide has to get started somewhere. <laughs> Well, Liz, episode 300, I have something to confess to you. Olive juice. Nice try. Vacuum cleaner. Wait. What is that? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me doing it. That's me. No, wait. It's just vacuum. Vacuum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I see it. Yeah, it's a That's good That's pretty good. It's pretty good, right? Because it looks to, like something else because listeners can't see that. Fifth grade, I hit him with the vacuum. I had the I teacher with the did. vacuum every day. Dennis the Menace over Every here. day, yeah. I wasn't that, no, vacuum's kind of Dennis. I'm going to see. Guys, 300 episodes. 300 episodes. What should we do for our 400th one? Should we finally, the goat we have? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we should sacrifice that motherfucker. Uh, people still listening because we went really long. Thanks for listening, you guys. How long did we go, Gantonski? Hour 45. Okay, we've gone longer than this. <laughs> we've gone longer than this, but it's a long guy. You know well, what? we wanted to talk. We wanted to talk. Yeah. And I, we got in passion. It's also really hot in this room it right now. It is crazy hot Crazy hot. hot. Thank God I have such a long plapus. What's it called? Placket. Placket? My placket on this Volcom <laughs> collar shirt I'm wearing is, uh, I would say, four-fifths of the way down the shirt. So I'm basically shirtless right now. Well, I'm Liz. I'm Brace, and I love you guys. I'm glad mm, to do this I love you guys, you. too. Um, and and I love doing this podcast. Yeah. Me, too. It's fun. Uh, we, you know what? I spent, we spent every day on this motherfucker. And <laughs> it's, I like to do it. <laughs> we are very hashtag blessed to be doing this. Yes. And I say that with all sincerity and no irony. And yes. thank you guys so much for listening. It yep. really is, like, fucking insane. And we really, really like doing it, and we're going to keep doing it. Young Chomsky, who are, who's our producer? It's me, uh, Young Chomsky. <laughs> you guys are both fired? Wait, by the way, uh, this is unrelated, but I just want to say really quick, it's crazy that, Bro- wait, Berlusconi's kid is named Luigi? Luigi? <laughs> Can you double check that for me Luigi? real quick? So, it, that just re- so his name is Luigi Berlusconi? <laughs> What? Yeah. What's he doing? Is he like a TV news presenter? Is he a TikTok star? What's his deal? He's got to be kind of older now. He's handsome. What's what's his job? What did it say like the Google result result thing? He obviously he's a car mechanic. He's a thirty four. Yeah. No plumber. Oh plumber. Plumber. Ugh, women don't be gaming. <laughs> That's true. I only played when I only played Mario Kart. I I. Which is why I thought they were mechanics. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's he's an economist. One of the realest jobs you can have. Let's oh, hear it for economists. Yeah. Wahoo. Eh, wahoo indeed. And the podcast is called One, Two, Three, True and On. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein.